Amen. Woo. Can we give our team a hand for working hard and sounding good? We love you guys. Amanda, my goodness. I, I was trying to worship, but the whole time I was just smiling so big. Beautiful. Thank you guys for using your giftings. It's good to have Sydney back. She's been in an uh, undisclosed location around the world doing mission and ministry, and, uh, and so I just, I love that. You know, we're a family, and so I'm, I'm kind of like just a, a brother sitting over here, just proud of my brothers and sisters, and grateful for each of you and what God is doing in you. Can I tell you how excited I am about next week? This is an amazing moment in the life of our church. I hope that you feel that. I hope that you ex experience that excitement, and I hope that you will be a part of City Group Sunday, okay? Uh, this is an amazing thing that God has led us to, and we're going to talk about that today. Why, why would God do that? Why, why has he laid this on our hearts as leaders, and, and what's the purpose of this? But I want to tell you, I want to make, make sure there's no mistake, South City Church is meeting next week, okay? South City Church is meeting next week. We're just meeting in homes all over central Arkansas. Right, we're going to be eating together, we're going to be doing the Lord's Supper together, we're going to be worshiping and looking into the Word, we're going to be praying for one another, it just won't be here. The church will be gathered all around the city, and it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I hope that if you don't have a city group, if you're not connected, uh, we'll have somebody back there by that mission TV, and we'll get that TV turned on so if you can see maybe where uh, some of these groups are meeting around the city. It's a wonderful thing, and we hope that you'll engage in that. Listen, we want this morning to be a morning of clarity, okay? Uh, it's important for you to see and know the vision of our church and the heart of kind of what we're doing, but if it's not clear, it's hard to understand. And so we want to make sure that it's clear and understandable. The elders of our church, we've been praying about what God is leading us to for years, for years, and this is an important morning uh, to help explain some of what God has led us to. I want to I lay out some things for you this morning in this message and help you understand some of the reasons why we're moving to a city group Sunday like we are, the first Sunday of every month, right? This is not just sort of a next month or two months. The first Sunday of every month, we're going to be moving to city group Sunday where we worship in homes all over central Arkansas. And we want you to understand why. There's four reasons our elders uh, want to communicate to you this morning. Number one, there's biblical precedent and purposes for this. That's the most important thing we could tell you, okay? We want to be a biblical church. This is not Drew's church. This is not the elders' church. This is Jesus' church, right? It's his church. Uh, we had a wonderful Hispanic uh, missions conference the last two days place was filled, food, it was wonderful, flags of different nations, and I, I came in last night just to say hello for a moment, and several pastors said, hey, thank you so much for letting us meet, and I said, this is not my church, <laughs> this is Jesus' church, his church meets here, so we, it's important that we understand what it is that, that the Lord wants to do in his church, because it's his church, it's not ours, we want to be faithful to his word to be a Jesus church, Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? I am so thankful that the growth process is not on me this morning. Can I just tell you, I'm so grateful that I can let that go. God has called me to be faithful to preach the word of God. He's called me to live a life that honors him and loves my family and loves you and disciples people. But the growth of this church is not on me. 
praise God, it's on him. He will build his church. And we want to be a biblical church that allows him to do what he wants to do in us. We also want you to see that there's co- current trends, right, in, in the world that are, that are going on. Maybe you have noticed our church is missing about a third of the people we had before COVID. Right, slowly we've been coming back, slowly we've been coming back, but we're still missing many, many people. In fact, you probably know many, many believers who are not a part of a church at all. You probably know a lot of, maybe it's family, friends that just haven't gone back, or maybe they weren't going in the first place. So, kind of like Paul found people in the marketplace, just like Paul went to the synagogue, because that's where people gathered, we got to be finding a way to go where people are, right? we got to find people who need Jesus, because that is the, the role of the church to make him known. So we want to pay attention to current trends. What is God doing in the world and what's happening and how can we reach people? Third thing we want to talk about this morning is present realities and future persecution. Sometimes you th- to even say that, some of you may be going, okay, here we go, conspiracy theories. No, friends, you know, I, never in my lifetime did I think that the church would be shut down. Never. And we saw it happen, didn't we? COVID brought some realities. Our culture right now is bringing some realities to bear on discipleship and the mission of Jesus in our country and around the world. And as a church, we got to pay attention to those. What's going on right now in our culture and and what can we do to make Jesus known regardless of what's happening uh, culturally around us and what even might happen in the future because we don't know what the future will hold and it is the heart of our elders that you as disciples of Jesus be ready, be prepared for whatever may happen, right? That is our heart. And then the last thing I want to talk about this morning is the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's not some, some small thing. The reason we're doing what we're doing is not because it's somebody's idea or some type of growth strategy. The very Holy Spirit of God has led your elders to this direction. And so we want to pay attention to what God is speaking to us. And City Group Sunday is a part of that vision. So I want us to pray this morning and we're going to break these four things down very quickly, and talk to you about why we're going to be doing City Group Sunday, the first Sunday of every month. Pray with me if you would. Lord, we love you. How good you are to us, Lord. Thank you for your kindness, your, your mercy. Your word said is new every single morning. So, Lord, we, we're experiencing new mercy today. God, we love you. We're so thankful for the, the privilege to be together with our church family. God, we know that the church is more than than a place where we meet. It's a family. Uh, It's more than a service that we perform. God, it's it's life together. And I pray that you'd help us to truly understand what it is that you've said in your word and help us to pay attention to that, God, so that we can truly be the church you're calling us to be. We we just want to be obedient. We just want to follow you. We just want to be responsive, as Pastor Elvis said, to what you lead us to do, God. May we respond in obedience and courage with what you lead us to so that your name may be lifted up, so that you may be made famous, God, and glorious because that's who you are and we are in desperate need of you, Jesus. So we submit all that we are, all that we understand, all that we know to you and we pray that you would teach us through your word today by your grace. I pray with all my heart, God, that you'd help me to decrease and that you would increase in this time, in this place. That you'd be lifted up and that you'd give clarity to our vision 
and to the heart, Lord, of what you want to do in your people, what you've led us to by your spirit, and what you've called us to in following your word. We give you this time, and God's people said, amen. All right, the church is not a building, it's a what? It's a people. We've been saying it for years. We've said it over and over again. There's a reason we've said it over and over again. Right? We want you to know it. We want you to believe it. We want you to understand it. We have sacred memories. I, I love this place. I do. I love this building. But it's just a building. It's just wood and brick and concrete and grass, right? You are the church. But for, for whatever reason, maybe it's just tradition or just the fact that it's the vernacular that we use, the language that we use, we use phrases that really don't make sense if you truly understand what the church is. Let me give you a few examples, right? Are you going to church tomorrow? Does that make sense? If we understand what the church is? Is the church a place that you can go to? Nope. Is it a building? Is it a location? No. You wouldn't say, are you going to a gathering of believers tomorrow? Are you going to that gathering? No, we're talking about a place, and yet we say it all the time. Uh, where do you go to church? What church do you go to? We're, we're looking for things outside the true definition of the church, which is a gathering of God's people. Did you like church today? That's, that's a big one, right? We say that one quite a bit. Did you like church today? As if the gathering of people, of God's people, was something to critique. It's not. The gathering of God's people is something to enter into. It's something to serve. It's something to love. It's something to be a part of. It's something to be moved by for the mission of Jesus. And we, all, we use this language that we don't think about. Even, hey, listen, even pastors do this. Have you ever heard a pastor say something like this? Isn't it wonderful to be in the house of God this morning? Heard that? This is not the house of God. This is a building. You are the house of God. Did you know that? You. So we're not coming into the house of God. We're welcoming the house of God. We're singing with the house of God. We're experiencing love and life together with the house of God. We're not in it, right? Or maybe they say things like this. Let us enter into his sanctuary this morning, right? This is not the sanctuary of God. This is just a building. The sanctuary or temple of God was destroyed in 70 AD in Jerusalem. You are now, as Elvis said from uh, 1 Corinthians 6, you are now the temple of God. So we got, we got to get our minds and our language and our lives connected with the truth of God's word and truly understand it. There's 114 different times in the New Testament where writers use the word ekklesia in Greek. That word means church, or in other words, the gathering of believers, 114 times. Guess how many of those 114 times it's referring to a building? Zero. Never, when the word church is used in the New Testament, does it refer to a building. Never. It never does. Every reference in the New Testament to temple house of God or church is about people every single reference Isn't that interesting every single one you see when we meet in homes and what we're going to do next week in our city group Sunday we're saying as a church we know that the church is not a building it's a people 
So we're gathered with the church all over central Arkansas, and it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. South City Church is meeting. We are gathering next week, just not here, okay? All right, let's break these four things down. Number one, what are the biblical precedents and purposes that our elders would say, we want to do this. We, we, we feel God moving us in this direction. If you have your Bibles, open up to our first text this morning. We're going to go through a few. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. Just look on the screen. Acts 2, 42 through 47. You're familiar with this. This may be my favorite text of Scripture in the Bible. This, this is uh, contextually right after Pentecost. Literally, the verse before this, verse 41, says that 3,000 people were baptized. They come to know Jesus. They were baptized. And after they're baptized, then Luke describes for us in Acts 2, 42, what happens as the church, right? Here it is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, there's two things happening in this text, right? There are things that, that, are, that only happened in that moment. So you have to kind of understand. Some of these things that are listed, they happened in that moment. It was because of that historical, biblical moment that God was birthing the church, and it was a beautiful moment. And then there's some things that are prescriptive in ways. They're telling us this is, this is what a beautiful church should look like. So we can't look at everything and go, well, that's exactly what needs to happen every day in our church. But we can look at some of these aspects and say, can this happen today in the church? There's some beautiful uh, examples of what a, a biblical church can look like. I, I just want to bring your attention to the fact that you can't look at Acts or any uh, letter in the New Testament for that matter and not see that the church gathered in homes. This is where they gathered 300 years. Let me give you some examples where people were gathering in people's homes. Uh, in Philemon's home, Philemon uh, 1, 2. In Aquila and Priscilla's home, both, listen to this, they had two homes, one in Corinth, so 1 Corinthians 16, 19 in Corinth, they had a church in their home. And then in Rome, when they were back in Rome, Romans 16, 5. Two different homes, two different locations, the mission of God, church gathering in their home. Nympha's home uh, in Colossians 4, 15. Mary's home, which she was the mother of John Mark. Acts 12, 12. Lydia's home, Acts 16, 40. Uh, Jason's home, Acts 17, 5. And they just go on and on. The church gathered in homes. In fact, everywhere you look in the New Testament, and there's a writer writing to the church, he's writing to a church in a home. Every letter, when you think of it, right? Every letter is a, is a letter written to a, a network of house churches, Romans. In fact, theologians think that the, the church in Rome probably never even, even gathered together as one whole body. Isn't that interesting? Because of persecution, because of uh, culture, they probably only gathered in their home churches. We just did a, a series in Ephesians. That's a letter written to a network of house churches all over Ephesus. 
And even Paul says, make sure that these, this letter is, is read to the church in Laodicea, right? And so that's what they do. They pass these letters around, and thankfully we have them today as a part of our New Testament canon. The only place we see that the church really met outside of homes for the first 300 years is just a few examples. I want to give them to you. We see that Paul gathered the body of believers where there wasn't a synagogue outside a riverbank in Philippi. We see Paul doing um, uh, discipleship training in the hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus. We see the church, just from the text we just read in Acts 2, the church gathered and prayed in the temple, right? In Jerusalem, the church was a very Jewish church those first years as God was moving in Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And so they were taking their Jewish religion, their Jewish traditions, and kind of continuing many of those things into their Christian faith. And what they did is they would meet in the temple. So just think of how fast the church grows. The Bible tells us that just before Pentecost, there's 120 believers in the upper room. Pentecost hits, now there's 3,120 believers. That's going to have to be a big room, right? Wouldn't fit in here. Just a few days, few weeks, I don't know how, how long. Uh, Peter and John go to the temple, and, and they heal a beggar. And they begin to preach the gospel of Jesus. And in that moment, 5,000 more people come to know Jesus. Now there's 8,120 people in the church. And evidently somebody's over there going, okay, that's 8,120. 8, and we don't really get numbers beyond that because it just kind of got out of hand. How do we keep up with this? Well, we're going to do it in smaller groups, in smaller gatherings. So for 300 plus years, the church of Jesus gathered in homes. Now what's interesting is the gospel is just, this is the, right, the purpose of Acts in many ways is to show the expansion and the multiplication of the gospel around the world. And eventually, we, even in, in uh, Acts, it shows that the gospel gets to Rome. And Christians are, are turning the world upside down through the gospel. They're loving the unlovey, unlove, unlovable. They're, they're, they're caring for people in great need. They're, they're burying the dead. They're, they're caring for orphans. I mean, they're, they're doing things that people don't do. And yet, it grabs the hearts of all Romans. And they're going, what is this religion? Who are these people? So much so that around 300, a little after, uh, the Roman emperor, the Caesar, Constantine, decides to declare the official religion, which is a big deal. We can't, even, we can't even comprehend what a huge situation this is. Constantine declares Christianity the official uh, religion of Rome. At that point, he starts to do some things. <laughs> you know, um, he called himself a Christian, but he wasn't a great Christian. Can I be honest with you? He murdered people. Um, he was still practicing pagan worship. And even much of what he's doing as he's trying to, he feels like he needs to help the church. Church was doing just fine. Church was gathering in homes. Church was changing the world, turning the world upside down. Constantine felt like he needed to help the church. So he starts building church buildings. First one in 327 A.D. in Jerusalem. He starts building church buildings. And he builds buildings that look like Greek courthouses. And so he takes Greek columns and Roman columns and he puts them on the front of the church. And I've been to the church in Jerusalem. And what's interesting here, how many of our churches today 
still have those columns out front, right? We, we, we've designed even our architecture to this day in many ways around what Constantine did in 300. So he began to do some things, introduce some things in the church. In fact, one of the things that he did as emperor is there was definitely a dichotomy of, of people who were important and people who were not. So in the church, he said, that ought to happen in the church. So I'm going to dress some people in the church in Roman outfits, Roman fine uh, garb, if you will. And they will be the ones to deliver uh, the sacraments for communion. And that way the, the lowly people, they can just receive it. And, and what Constantine did is he began to create this separation of ministers or professional uh, Christians, if you will, and what's called the laity. may not sound like a big deal, but to this day it exists. And often people as believers go, let's let, let's let missions, let's let ministry, let's let all the preaching, let's let all the witnessing be done by the staff. All I got to do is show up. They've already done it for me, right? You see the implications here. Even our building today, our, our chairs are facing this way for something to happen instead of facing each other for caring and ministering to one another. So there's different implications that have happened as a result of Constantine that are not right and we need to look at and correct. So that's, that's the first thing. People met in homes. Um, number two, I want to show you, though, that, that God has called all of us to serve. He's called all of us as believers in Jesus to, to do some things. We've talked about these as a refresher. He's called us that if we're saved, we're sent. If you know Jesus as your Savior, the expectation is that you will take this salvation God has given you and you'll go and seek someone else to tell them about the good news of Jesus, right? That's, that's your role. It's not the role of ministers. It's the role of believers. It's not just your job to show up to church occasionally. It's your job to be missionaries. And if that sounds foreign, it's because we haven't taught it well. You are missionaries. If you're saved, you're sent. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that if you're saved, you're a new creation. Right? Praise God. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. But a little later it says that if you're a new creation and if you're saved, then Christ has given you a ministry. Guess what? You're a minister. Not just the people on stage. It's you. If you know Jesus, you're a minister. And, and the Bible says in that same place, he's given you a message. So in your ministry, you have the ministry of reconciliation. That just means if you're saved, you're sent. <laughs> it just means as you walk life, wherever you live, wherever you play, wherever you work, then you have this ability to tell people about Jesus with the hope and the prayer that they might be reconciled to God. We've been talking for the last several weeks about our giftings, our purpose, and our story. Ephesians 2 says, if you're saved, if God has saved your heart and life by his grace, you're a masterpiece and he has given you gifts and uh, the ability to walk out those gifts for good works that he has prepared for you. As believers, we're called to do these things. There should be no such thing as a laity. Can I just say it? It doesn't exist in the Bible. 
we're all called to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus. And, and this one just blows my mind. If we're not doing the ministry God has given us, we don't grow the way that we're supposed to. We've, we've looked at this verse, but I want you to look at it again. These, again, this is kind of a highlight reel of some of the verses we've talked over for the last year. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now I want to stop for a moment. Because of our understanding or kind of maybe how we've been raised in church, we go, oh, that's all the pastors. Oh, that's the elders. No, that's the people of God. Th this is everybody who knows Jesus has been given some sense of influencing style that was represented in those apest gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or teachers. So you have a leaning in how you can serve people and love people. And watch this. Stay with that thought, okay? Why are you gifted with those things? Watch. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? People who are saved. People who are saved are saints, and we're all to equip one another for the work of ministry. Get it? You see a theme here? Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I got some work to do on me. You got some work to do on you. Guess what? Together we help each other grow in maturity in Jesus. Why do we do this? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Have you looked around? This is happening everywhere. People who don't have a good understanding of God's word, man, they're over here one day and they're over here the next. I believe this now because it just seems popular. This seems to be, it just seems to be what I feel like is right. Not a good uh, apologetic. It's not a good theological position to follow your heart. No, we follow God's word. Verse 15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From, the whole, from whom the whole body, watch this, joined and held together with every joint. That's you. Every joint, that's your gifting. Every joint, that, that's your ministry. That's what God has gifted you to do, right? We're held together by Christ and each other. This is, this is loving one another, equipping one another. And when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Friends, I could preach every second of every day and it wouldn't be enough for you. Because you need one another. We need one another. We need the giftings God has given each of us to mature us in Jesus. The role of ministry, the role of mission in the church is not for uh, uh, the few. <laughs> it's for all of us who know Christ as our Savior. I could go on and on about negative influences that Constantine brought into the church. Because what he did is cause this confluence of Roman culture and Christian religion. Think we have any of that struggle in America today? American culture and Christian religion? Yeah, we do. Friends, I'm calling us back to Scripture. Let's get back to the Bible outside of American culture, outside of Roman culture, 
exactly what Jesus has called us to in his word for the establishment of his church. You might ask this question as we're moving to this uh, model and, and, and first Sunday, uh, city group Sunday in homes. You might ask the question, is it wrong for churches to worship in buildings? Is it wrong? Of course not. I mean, we're going to be doing it every other weekend, right? Every single weekend we'll be doing this except for the first Sunday of the month. We'll be in a building worshiping. Most, most of us, if not all of us, if we've been formed in Christ, most likely have been around a church and a building. There's nothing wrong with meeting in a building. We're not making that statement. But what we are saying is that when you focus on the church primarily in a location as a building in, in one spot, there are implications to that. Let me tell you what they are. Those implications are this. To be the church, we better gather at the building. See that implication? Well, the church is gathering. Oh, I'll see you at church. No, the church is gathering. We can gather anywhere. The implication can also be, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm doing a ministry. Hey, I'm going into ministry. And your thought is, cool, what are you going to do at church? Are you going to preach? Are you going to worship? Are you going to lead children to ministry? Are you going to help with the parking? What, what, what are you going to do? No, God's given me a ministry of reconciliation to the world. Right? I mean, ministry doesn't have to happen right here, I hope. It happens everywhere. And we have to realize that maybe it started with Constantine, but it continues with us, that we have caused a compartmentalization of our lives to say they're sacred and they're secular. Friends, that doesn't exist. When you walk in this building, often sometimes we come dressed up and we want our kids to be on their best behavior, right? Because it's the church, right? We, we want to be on our best behavior. We want to seem we're good, we're okay, we're all right. There's this compartmentalization because when we leave here, the tie comes off, you know, you, you get comfy and you get to be whoever you want to be. See, I know this, I know this um, life because I lived it. I don't live it anymore. By God's grace alone, I pray that I'm the exact same person right here that I am off this stage, outside of this building, at home with my family, without my family. Because all of life is sacred. If you know Jesus, all of life is sacred. There should never be a dissection, a split personality of sacred and secular. I'll be a Christian because I'm going to the church, but I'm going to do whatever I want outside of that place, outside of me trying to look like something. I came to church, friends, trying to look my best, trying to impress you, trying to seem like I had it together, and my life was a wreck. I was full of sin. I was drinking like a fish. I was fighting. I was doing whatever I wanted to do physically with relationships. I dishonored God with my life, but I said I was a Christian. And somehow in my mind it was okay that I had dissected who I was to sacred and secular. There is no such thing. Only sacred. If you know Jesus... Only sacred because if God, if his church is a people, then all of this life is his. Wherever we go, every single moment, Psalm 139 says, Lord, where can I go from your presence? It doesn't say, Lord, when I get to your presence in the church, right, where can I go from it? I can't. I can't be away from it. 
What about, what about, what about this? 1 Corinthians, Elvis mentioned this, 6.19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You're the temple of God wherever you go. And it says, verse 20, uh, verse 20, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. What was that price? It was Jesus' death. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you're his temple. You are his. And you take him with you wherever you go. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do. Paul, Paul tries to break it down to the most simple, mundane thing we can do every day. Right? Even if you're just eating and drinking, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see. When we see the New Testament church, when we truly take a look at what we see in the Bible as the New Testament church, they're a lot more relational than they are congregational. In the Western church, we flip-flop that. As long as I can be part of a congregation, I'm good. But don't ask me to be relational. Now, for years, and like many of you know, I grew up in this church. And I'm just saying this is my experience. I'm not saying this was everybody's experience. But on a large portion, you would come into the church and it would be fairly surface. In other words, you might know people's names. You might even know what people did for a living, maybe where they sort of where they live, but you really didn't know struggles, you didn't know issues, you didn't know problems, you didn't know concerns, you didn't know questions. It wasn't life on life the way God calls us to live. It was fairly surface. Why? Because this building isn't designed for intimate, authentic relationship. It's designed for a service. But God has called us to intimate, authentic life-on-life -life relationships with one another. So it was easy to sort of just come in and fake it because it was, as long as the surface looked okay, you could get by. Friends, we need to create a church and a system where you can't get by <laughs> apart from authenticity so that when you're with people, they go, hey, man, what's going on? How you doing? So when they don't see you for a few weeks, they go, what's up? Why, why are you not here? How is it that many churches have ten times people on their roles than people that are actually involved in the church? Because we're not involved in their lives, and we care more about our membership role numbers than the lives of people in Jesus. The early church was more relational than congregational. We see in the New Testament, in order even to follow the directives of God's word in the New Testament, to even do the one another's, you've heard that phrase, the one another's? To even be obedient to the one another's, it has to be a fairly small group of people. It's got to be relational. It's got to be lived out in such a way that you love one another, serve one another, bear with one another, weep with one another, rejoice with one another. Those things can only be done in relationship. They can't be done congregationally in a huge group. Even Jesus gives us the directive. He says, hey, when somebody sins or when a relationship breaks down, he says in Matthew 18, this is how you care for it. Go to that brother. He even speaks like familial terms. Right? Go to the brother that you know, that you're in relationship with. And if he won't hear you, take another brother. In other words, take somebody else that all three of you know one another. Reason with him. Try and bring him back. If he still won't listen, bring him, bring, bring, bring the church. Friends, it's not talking about bringing somebody up in front of 100 or 200 people and shaming them for some sin in their life. And we've gotten that wrong at times. No, it's about a family of people going and pleading with him, won't you come back? 
Because church discipline is always about restorative care, not punitive damage. It's always about restoring people to family and life in Jesus, not shame. Church in a building tends to be more attractional than incarnational. <laughs> Probably noticed this. Uh, I had a friend I used to serve with. And we would talk about preparing services, and he'd go, yeah, let's, let's think about this. And this. he'd go, dun, 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 dun. he'd make this little noise. And he was trying to be funny, but basically what he was saying, that's, you know, that's a circus theme, if you remember. <laughs> and his whole thing was, what can we do to keep everybody entertained? Look over here. Hey, look over here. It, often that's what we do in the church. Can we keep you entertained? Entertain? Can we keep your attention? Can we show you this over here? And it'd be really impressive and beautiful. Can we sing for you in such a way that's just phenomenal? And you, wow. Listen, I believe in bringing excellence to the Lord. I, I love that. But the church has to be involved in more relational realities in life, not just what we do in a service. It can't just be attractional. That's the term we use in the church. Is your church an attractional church? Willow Creek Church did this for years and years. I, I've, I've led worship at Willow. I've been to conferences at Willow. Uh, it was an amazing time, and they, you know, they, they, they would teach, how can we get people's attention who don't know the Lord? And let's just, let's play a Beatles song, or let's do whatever to get their attention, then we'll show them the gospel. And it seemed like the right thing for a while until about 25 years later, and they started going, okay, that didn't work. It's because Paul says that the attraction in our lives ought to be our lives, not our church services. Yeah, we want to do things that are, honoring to the Lord but look what he says to Titus Titus 2 verse 9 he says bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything they're to be well pleasing not argumentative not pilfering but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people you see that Paul's saying let what's attractive be your life Live your life among your neighbors, among those you go to school with. Live your life among the people you work with and work out with and, and play with. Let them look at your life and go, wow, what's different about this guy? He doesn't react the same way I do. There's something amazing about this family. How are they still happily married 28 years later? But what's the deal with them? And our lives in Christ are to adorn. That's kind of like a woman wears a necklace that's beautiful and it perfectly matches her outfit and it makes the whole package work, right, or whatever. That's what our lives are to be for the world. So that when people look at our lives, they go, that's amazing. What's different? And they see Jesus and they see the doctrine of Jesus around us. That's just how we live, honoring him with our lives so that it leads them to a savior. Friends, we've been preaching for over a year about mission, about equipping you, about casting a vision that the church has to be missionaries on a mission wherever we live. And this whole time I've had these images in my mind. I want to show you a couple of images. The first is an image of us sort of in the church. We've got this little building, and we got people who come from all over. we got people who come from Conway, Arkadelphia, uh, sometimes Pine Bluff, Hot Springs. I mean, they come from all over to come to this little tiny building. And, and our building, trust me, is a lot smaller than that in actuality <laughs> on this map. And we gather all the believers in this little building. 
But my question is, do you think if we were uh, God's army and we really wanted to make a difference in the gospel around our city, is this the way we should do it? Or should we put soldiers all over the city? Show us the next one. Because this is actually where you live. These are actual track points of your homes. All around the city, and we've got a little window that shows Conway, a little window that shows Arkadelphia. So if, let me ask you this question. If the United States military were only in boot camp right now, would you feel safe? Right? And would you feel safe if all we had were some people in boot camp? No. Instead, we've got people stationed all over the world, especially in areas of concern. We've got people stationed around the United States for protection and, and, and influence. Friends, I think it's time the church get out of boot camp and get their boots on the battlefield around the world, around our homes, around where we live. Number seven, God chose for his church to be established in history when it was. Some people say, okay, yeah, that was the early church, the first century church, but we're, we're in this century and it's so much different. Yes, you're right, but don't you think God, when he was designing what his church was to be, I mean, when he laid it out in a culture that he wanted at least the values of what that church represented to be represented for all time? You think it should just be so wishy-washy that it would change with culture? Of course not. And what is a major value of the church? That it's a family. That it ought to be a smaller expression of the church. You know, for a long time we kept saying we were impressed with big numbers of churches. And, and there are some amazing churches that are big. But just to say that church has a thousand people. Ooh. Ten thousand. Ooh. You live in Houston and there's probably 30 churches that have over 30,000 members. That's not impressive to me anymore. That's not a metric that impresses me anymore. I'd rather say, I'd rather hear, how many people did your church send out on mission? How many people are living as disciples of Jesus who are making disciples? How many people are living, understanding their calling of God? That's what we need to understand and know. Let me give you a couple more here and then we're going to go. So there's biblical purposes, there's biblical precedents and purposes. I've just given you seven this morning. There's uh, current trends. Let me just, I, I thought these were very interesting numbers. Barna says that one-third of practicing Christians, this is just in the last few years, by the way, one-third of practicing Christians have dropped out of the church. I would say that seems right with the numbers in our church. For the first time in 80 years, membership in churches has dropped 50%. Only 40% of believers claim to actually be members in a church. That's down 23% in 20 years. That's not a good number. That's not a good uh, uh, situation that we're looking at here in the church. 71% of Americans who identify as um, unaffiliated with any religion. This is so tragic to me. 71% that are affiliated with no church or no religion grew up in the church. Isn't that sad? What does that say of our children, friends? What are we doing as parents, as families, 
who want to disciple our children that they know Jesus and make him known so that they have lives that honor him. So that they're not tossed to and fro because this world will eat them up and spit them out. Maybe you've noticed that lost people, for the most part, are not just flooding our services. Have you noticed that? In fact, many believers aren't coming to our services. <laughs> How unloving would it be if all we did was just put on blinders and we say, well, we're just going to keep doing what we always do. We're going to keep on doing what we do. This is church. How unloving. Instead, can we just say, what do we need to do to go to people? What do we need to do to make disciples where they are? And I promise you, as we meet in homes, your neighbors are going to go, what's going on over there at the Klein home? And we're going to come follow up with the way we serve and love our neighbors and go, man, this is our church meeting. We want, come on over, let's have dinner. God is moving. Just uh, Friday night, Julian was telling us about using his spiritual gift of evangelism. Somebody came to know Christ that he was sharing with. Praise God. I'm hearing about city group Sundays and where there's going to be families coming to our city groups that are not part of our church. Guess what? That'll be more people than walk in here on a Sunday that are not part of our church. Something's happening. Literally just putting our family in different places around the city is being missional. These current trends we have to pay attention to. And we have to pray for gospel saturation in central Arkansas. I pray that you'll do that with us. Here's the third thing. Present and future persecution. Like I said, I can't believe you could tell me at one point in our lives that you'd see the church shut down. Do you remember on the news, uh, I thought I had a picture of it, I mean, we may or may not. There's a, there's a church in Canada that they literally barricaded the driveway so you couldn't get into the church. They locked the doors so that you couldn't get put fences up. And I remember when I first saw this, I kind of laughed. Because I went, this church is not a building. The government said, oh, the church is a building. Let's lock it up and you can't do church. Friends, can I just ask us this question, South City? If they did this to us here, would we be ready? If this happened right here, what would you do? Does the gospel continue to be proclaimed? Because that's what, that's what I'm trying to do. Can you do that? Can you proclaim the gospel in your life? Can you make disciples where you are? Can you gather as the church with no staff? Because if that happens in our country, we want our people, we want you to be ready to make disciples. If all we do is go to a, a building for the church, then the mission of Jesus stops in us. And then lastly, I wanted to share with us that our elders feel strongly that this is the way God is leading us. Four years ago, me and Pastor Elvis and Pastor Daryl began to pray and, and work on our doctorate program, our doctoral program. And it was a study of the early church. And we began to kind of look at each other going, wow, this is really eye-opening in some ways. And we began to study and study. And about a year later, we began to have some conversations with our elders. And our elders, we all began to read books together and, and pray together and retreat together and weep together and fast together. And say, God, what are you calling our church to? What are you moving us to because of your word? Because we want to look like that church in Acts that's making a difference in the world. We don't want to just do services and be status quo. We want to make a difference for the gospel in central Arkansas. 
God has led us to this place. And I just want to encourage you to know we're not alone. <laughs> the fastest growing church in the world is the church in Iran, house churches in Iran. The fastest growing church is the church in, in China, the underground church, also in Iran. Nationally, there are churches, large and small, that are, that are changing how they do church to be more incarnational. That means that we let Jesus live through us where we live. That we make a smaller version of the church so that the world can see him in our lives, in our homes, in how we live and where we live. Even in Little Rock, there are two major churches, I could mention them to you, that are making significant changes in, in who they are and how they do missions and ministry to move in this direction. God is moving. It's not, this is not an idea. It's not a strategy for growth. This is a movement of the Holy Spirit and our, and our elders sense this. And we're, we're praying in this direction. Somebody asked me this question, and I want to ask it, and I want to answer it clearly so that there's clarity, and then we're going to be finished. Are we becoming a house church? Are we, is, is South City Church becoming a house church? The answer is no. However, we, with all that we are, we want to raise the value of what mission and relationships in your home look like. We believe God wants to see smaller expressions of the church all over the city. And we believe he wants to be glorified in, in worship gatherings just like this. So we're going to do both. We want to honor him with all that we are. And we want to point people not just to a service, but to relational connection in homes and missional, incarnational ministry through you, the church, right where you live. Okay? That's what God has called us and, and City Group Sunday is a huge part of that. All right, I want to do one last thing before we go. And I want to show you, if you're not a part of a city group, this is the reason we're doing this. If, as I call the name of the city group leader, I would like for you just to stand up, okay? Uh, and actually, if you're in that group, stand up, okay? So uh, in Southwest, in the Otter Creek area, the Garcia group, that is a Spanish-speaking group. If you're in that group, stand up, please. Yes, stand up. Pastor Elvis, yeah, so we have, so th that's the group that meets, it's here in the southwest area, all right, you guys can sit down, West Little Rock, Lawson Road, which is sort of in between Bryant and West Little Rock, uh, the, the uh, I'm trying to say the Casey group, the Buford group, if you're in the Buford group, stand up, yeah, awesome groups, okay, if uh, we have a group in West Little Rock, which is right off of uh, Reservoir Road and Cantrell Road, the Willis group, I'm standing, I'm in that group. If you're in that group, stand up. Willis group. Don't, don't tell Leslie I told you, but our text thread says the best city group. I'm just, I'm just saying. I don't know, I'm just saying. Um, Pinnacle Valley group, Adcock, stand up Adcock. We've got a group there. We've got uh, Maumel group, the Sorrels and the Qualls, stand up. If you're involved in that group. So that's Maumel, sort of North Little Rock area, okay? The Conway group, there may not be many of us either, me and, Dar me and uh, Julian, yes, Jordan, way to go. We're in Conway. The Benton group, the Stewarts and the Littles. Yes, great group, thank you. It makes my heart so happy to see y'all standing up in your group. Uh, the Benton group, we have another Benton group in Spring Hill, the Ancaros, stand up here in that group. 
Jason's in the back working media. Yeah, great. Hey, listen, as you saw those groups, you can be seated. As you saw those groups and you saw the map, sort of maybe where the area is where these groups are, if you're not a part of a group, next Sunday, we're going to be doing church in those groups, okay? That's the church. That's what we do. That's who we are. And so I pray that you would join one of these. Uh, Heidi, are you going to be in the back? Or Mindy, one of you guys going to be in the back? By the TV. If you don't have a group and you need to know exactly where the address is, they will help you with that, okay? Uh, so back there in the back. Next Sunday, will we see you here? Okay, just making sure we're clear. Not here. In our groups all over the city, God is doing something in our church. We want to see people come to know Jesus. People living missionally right where they live. I, I, I believe it with all my heart, friends. I believe it with all my heart. Our, our elders I believe it with all their hearts. And I would just tell you, if you know one of our elders, we have five wonderful elders or staff, talk to them. If you have a concern or thoughts or question, talk to them. They can help you know any of the details about this, all right? Be in a city group, find one, and I can't wait to hear what God does on City Group Sunday next Sunday. God bless you. We love you. If you're a city group leader, we got one more training today. Uh, we love you. Thank you for being with us at South City. I want to pray over us, and then we'll go. Father, you're so good. Oh, how we love you. Thank you for what you're doing in your church, in your people, in your house, in your temple, which is us. God, move us to obedience to the great commission of Jesus. Move us to incarnation, our incarnational mission where we live. Move us to lifestyle connection to people all around us in our circles of influence. And I pray that by your spirit, Lord God, that you would draw people to yourself and we would see a movement of the spirit happen in us, Lord that people would come to know you, and that you would grow your church because this is your church. We love you, Lord. We give you this time. We give you our church. We give you all the questions and things we're still working out, and we just say thank you for your movement in us. We love you, and we give this to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a great Sunday.